This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. Our text today is found actually in two places in the New Testament. It's found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, and it's also found in the book of Acts. The Luke portion of our message is found in the second chapter of Luke. We're going to look today at verses 15 through 17, and after that we're going to flip over briefly to Acts and look at the 20th chapter, verses 33 through 35. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word this morning. And as I said before, the Lord indeed does have a word for us on this last day of the year and this last message in this series, the gift of ministry. We've been talking about that gift and talking about the importance of that gift. And as with any good message, there's always a call to action. And today's message is God's call to action for us as we prepare to move into 2020. What you'll find written beginning in verse 15 in Luke chapter 2 reads as follows. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. As you put your finger there, please go to Acts, the 20th chapter, beginning with verse 33. It reads in this fashion. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As we speak this morning to the subject, be a giver, amen? Amen. Be a giver. It's as simple really as that. God has called us to be a giver. We've been talking the past four weeks about the gift of ministry. And we've been talking about the gift of ministry throughout the Christmas season. And we've come to the end of the Christmas season. And based on the liturgical calendar, we've entered the season of Advent or the arrival of Christ in the earth. And with the arrival of Christ in the earth, every gift has a purpose. And the purpose of every gift, when it's given properly, is for that gift to give joy to the recipient of that gift. Jesus came to the earth that he would fill our lives with joy through the redemption and salvation that came with the work that he did on Calvary. As we stand on the threshold of a new year and of a new decade, it's it's human nature for us to look ahead to resolutions. I've already started doing it, and I'm pretty sure you all have too as we stand here at the 29th of December. 
These resolutions range from, from weight loss to financial freedom to feeling better to achieving and maintaining an overall higher and better quality of life. And whatever the resolution is that you make, one thing is certain, that the individual making the resolution is going to do all that he or she can to make sure that the desired end result comes to pass. Now, in the Luke portion of our text here this morning, church, the shepherds make a similar resolution after hearing the good news of the Christ child proclaimed to them by the angels in heaven. They made haste to witness with what God has done and upon seeing what God had done, they resolved in their minds and hearts and spirits to proclaim the good news far and wide to anyone that would listen. This degree of resolve continued into the Acts portion of our text today when Paul made it quite clear that his resolve to do God's will was based on Christ's declaration that it is indeed more blessed to give than to receive. And this same sentiment reigns true today in our lives like never before. And our text today is a clarion call for us to embark upon a journey in this new decade to be givers of the good news in order to share eternal life and bless others through Christ. God gave each and every one of us a gift, which is called today. There's a saying that I used to say a lot when I was a little bit younger in my adult years that, that, that tomorrow is a mystery and yesterday is, a, is history. All we have is today, so enjoy it because it truly is from God the present that he has for us. And oftentimes we fail to realize that the present that we live in is just that. It's a present from God. It's a gift that God gives us. And God gives us gifts in order to receive joy from them. So if you and I are gifts, we've been given by God to the earth to be a blessing to others. Because when we're obedient and we do God's will, that gives God joy. And when we give God joy, he's blessed. And when he's blessed or well-pleased with us, he then blesses us or positions us to be well-pleased with him. But so often what we do is we get caught up in stuff. We get caught up in the stuff of life that takes our attention away from what our purpose is as believers. Our purpose as believers, contrary to, to, to pop culture belief, is not to get. It's not all about us getting. Instead, like Christ, it's about us giving. He poured himself out figuratively and literally in the earth. He shed his blood so that we might have the right to be here today, so that we might have the right to bear his name, so that we might have the right to be called his brothers and sisters, to be called by, by God the Father, sons and daughters. So we should not take that mantle lightly. We should not take that responsibility lightly. But instead, we should seek to walk in the gift of ministry that God has given us and aspire to be givers in every area of our lives. And so often people in today's society want to equate giving with money. Here he goes or here she goes, whoever the pastor is. The end of the year is here. They must have bills to pay because they're, pre they're preaching about giving. That's absolutely not the case. While the tithe and the offering is a portion of the dynamic of giving, I'm speaking of the greater overarching concept of worship. We talked a few messages back about 
the gravity of worship and what worship is. Worship is from a British word, worship, which literally means that one is making a conscious decision to place what they deem as worth the greatest value first on their agenda. This is why the Bible lets us know that we're to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together because we come together first, the first day of the week, to give our very best in the way of worship and thanks to our God. We make the conscious decision to gather together. We make the conscious choice as the praise, praise songwriter wrote to come into his house and to gather in his name to worship him. We come together to give God praise and to say, Lord, I love you and I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you for how you've kept me these seven days. I thank you that you did not allow me to wake up and realize that I was no longer in the land of the living. I thank you that you kept death's touch from my life for another week. I thank you that you kept the tears that will be shed for me when I'm gone in my family's eyes one more week. We make the conscious decision to come together to give God praise. And what God is saying in this text is that he desires us in turn to not only make that decision on the first day, but to make him first in our lives every day. Because as we make God first every day, we then become effective ministers by blessing others. Amen. God needs us to understand and realize that the word is true on both sides of the coin. When the word says that, know you not that you're not your own, but you've been bought with a price. That means that we belong to somebody else. Which means the other side of the coin is we have to be about our father's business and do what he's mandated and called us to do to bless others. Because that's what he desires us to do. So you may say, well, pastor, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure I really understand the how behind doing that. The how in being an effective minister. I can't do what you do. I can't go stand on a street corner. I can't go and knock on doors. I, I can't do what I see people do on TV or hear them do on radio. Even read about what they do on, in, in books. I can't do like they did in the Bible. I, I can't go into a lion's den and, and not get eaten. I can't do those things. But I'm here to let you know that you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. And while God may not have called you to do those specific things, the gift and the talents that he's given you, he's called you to use in ministry and helping others. And he's not only called you to do it, but he's equipped you to do it better than anybody else. You call, you, each and every one of you can do things that I can't do, that I can never do in a hundred lifetimes because he's not gifted me, nor has he talented me to do them. But he's equipped you to do them. So the first way that you are an effective minister by blessing others is to be bold in sharing the good news. And each of us have a different capacity to be bold. Be bold in what you know. My dad used to always say to my sisters and I concerning education to make sure that you get it in your head. And he'd always point here at his head. Because once you get it in here, Nobody can take it away from you. And the flip side I found of that is that once you realize that nobody can take it away from you, it doesn't matter who you're talking to because a revelation comes into play that they can't do anything to change what I know. And that's important to grasp that in your spirit. Once you know what you know, no one can take 
what you know away from you. No one can take it away from you. No one can distort it. No one can dilute it. No one can change it. So if we know that, and this is what God had to do with me and dealing with me on this, if we know that in the natural, how much more should we be emboldened in the spirit once we know Christ? Once we've said yes to Jesus and once we have an actual and live and active love relationship with Christ, once he is our Lord and Savior, we should be so bold about telling everybody about Jesus because he fills us with the joy that they say the world can't give us and the world can't take away. And if we could be bold about that joy, we can be even more bold about the fact that the salvation that he's given us, the world didn't give it to us and the world can't take it away from us. So we should be bold in sharing that good news. Because when you know that you know that you know something, no matter how much somebody tries to come against you with what they think you know, you can shut them down because you just know down in your knower. If somebody came to me and said, Ralph, your name is Ralph. I know that my name is not Ralph. I know that my name is Derek. I've literally had it all my life. And if they're just insisting, no, 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 your name is Ralph. No, my name is not Ralph because I can go all the way back to the story that my mother told me about my name, about what happened in my life that precipitated the giving of my name. I can witness, catch this, I can witness, I, I can testify about the circumstances surrounding what happened to me which made me into the individual that I am by name which made me into the man that I am today. I could share with you chapter and verse about how you know, my mother, when she was pregnant, my mom always wanted a little girl because my mom was always an only child. So when they, they told my mom initially that she would never have children, she was devastated. But then when they told her that she was pregnant, she was ecstatic. <clears throat> and of course, this was before they had the technology of ultrasound where they could tell you ahead of time. So my mom already had my sister's name picked out because she just knew she was having a girl. So they told her, congratulations, Mrs. Thomas. You know, you, you have a healthy and happy baby boy. And my mom was like, I'm sorry, what? Because she just knew she was going to have a, a, a little girl. So they're like, well, what do you want to name it? My mom had no clue what to name me because she had her heart set on a little girl. So I was boy Thomas for three days because she did not know what to name me. But in the deliberation, the Lord saw fit to give her the name that I now carry. Which is the point that I have to be bold about sharing the good news. Because whether you believe it or not, each and every one of you are good news to someone. No matter what the world may try to tell you, each and every one of you are good news to someone. You may run into 99 people that don't want to hear a word you say. But you keep pressing and you keep being that giver because that 100th person, it may very well be the person that God ordained you to meet here in the earth. Look at what it says in verses 15 through 17 in Luke. It says here that so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. In other words, the shepherds had, had gotten a visit. They had gotten a divine revelation. They're like, okay, now we understand. We got to go and do something. It's one thing just to have a casual knowledge of something, but now we've gotten a visitation literally from beyond. We got to go see what this is all about. When God touches you and, and, and touches your life, you've got to understand that it's more than just a passing thing. It's more than just a passing flight. It's more than just a chance encounter. God calls each of us 
for specific work. So it behooves us when God calls us for specific work to do as Jesus said when he was 12 years old. A kid got it. Yet so many of us fail to get it. Jesus said when he was 12 and he left his parents and was found in the temple with the priests and his parents asked, where were you? We didn't know where you were. We were scared. We thought something had happened to you. He said, don't you understand that I've got to be about my father's business? Don't you get it? Life is not about me taking from you. My life is about being prepared to give so that you can have joy. This is how God desires us to function and desires us to live. It's not a chance encounter. It's not by chance that any of us are here today. It's not by happenstance that we opened our eyes this morning. It's not by random natural selection that you and I are here today. It's not by, by circumstance that we're in this place together. God has a message for each and every one of us. And the message that he has for each and every one of us is for us to realize that we've got work to do. And he's given us something that he wants us to give to someone else. But it goes further than that. Look at what it says here in verse 16. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Verse 17. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. In other words, down in there, Noah, it had been verified even more so what had been told them because now they had a witness of what had been told them. So now it was their job to go and share this witness with other people. <clears throat> Whatever God has done for you in your life, however God has moved in your life, that's your witness. That's your testimony. That's your message. So often people ask me, well, how do you do what you do week in and week out? How do you as a, a pastor every week have a different message? And what I tell people, I've come to the realization is that the message is the same. The message has been the same for the 20 plus years that I've been called into Christian ministry. The wrapping paper is different, but the gift is still the same. My job is to present Christ to everybody that I meet. That's it. My job is to present the good news and say, look, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ lives and his desire is to live in you. That's my job. That's the only message I've preached. That's the message I will continue to preach until the Lord calls me home. The thing, though, is the wrapping paper. The wrapping paper that you wrap the gift up in is what makes it appealing. The wrapping paper is what makes it appealing, and the message to that end is the wrapping paper that goes around it. And that happens when we gain an understanding of the realization of who God is, because when God makes a divine impact in your life, and God is moving in your life, he gives you the words to say that are appealing to the individuals. He gives you what needs to be said that captures the attention of the audience that you're in front of. And it makes it appealing. And it makes them want to unwrap it and learn about it a little bit more. And this is where the shepherds were. The shepherds came to the realization, uh, actually to the same realization, that God desires us to come to as it pertains to boldly sharing the good news. And that's the realization that the boldness and faithfulness that the shepherds exhibit is ultimately an eternal example of how we are to share the good news with others. 
We should not be deterred by what people say. We should not be deterred by what people think. We should not be deterred by what attitudes we run into. Whatever comes our way, we should continue to maintain a mindset, a heart set, and a spirit set that's going to make people listen to what God has to say. That's going to open the eyes and ears of people that don't want to hear. That's going to register in the spirits of those that want to reject. And before they understand fully what's happening, before their minds understand it, the spirits are going to respond and react because God desires the very best for us. For those of you that are parents here, you understand and know that one of the worst things that a child feels a parent can do in life, well two of the worst things that a parent can do in life is punish them and, and, and make them take medication. Because in both instances, children think that you're the most horrible person in the earth. You're the most horrible human being that walks the face of the earth. How dare you hurt me? How dare you make me take something that you know is disgusting? It's going to make me throw up. It's going to make me feel worse. But like God, we're looking at the bigger picture. It hurts me just as much, if not more, than it hurts you to have to put my hands on you to punish you or to have to give you something that I know is disgusting. But the Bible tells us concerning correction that if we spare the rod, we spoil the child. And the Bible also tells us as it pertains to, to uh, uh, medication and, and, and overcoming it that, that the trials, and I paraphrase that, that, that the trials and hardships of, of this moment pale in comparison to the joy that comes after. In other words, we're looking at a much bigger picture. We're not looking at the right here, right now. We're looking past the conflict into the convergence of who the person is going to be. They're going to be better on the other side of this. They're going to be stronger on the other side of this. And God is calling us to be bold in sharing the good news. It might be uncomfortable. It might be not palated well. It might seem as though the individual is running away. But once we do our job, we sow that seed. That seed is going to germinate. That seed is going to grow. And just when we've given up on an individual, that's when they're going to come around. And that's the, when they're going to come fruit for the kingdom. And that's when they're going to go out and do the same thing. The Bible says that it's, it's, it's some individual's job to plant, others' individual's job to water, but God ultimately, ultimately provides the increase. Our job is to be givers. We're to be purveyors of the seed. We're to let everybody that we meet know, hey, here's your seed, here's your seed, Jesus loves you. Here's your seed, Jesus loves you. Here's your seed, Jesus loves you. Here's your seed. Jesus loves you. I don't want it. Well, you know what? That's okay. Here's your seed. Jesus loves you. Why don't you be quiet? You know what? Because Jesus loves you and I want to give you this seed. Go away. I don't want to be bothered. My intent's not to bother you. I just want to let you know that Jesus loves you. I don't really want to hear what you have to say. That's great because I have nothing to say. I've got a message from the Lord and he wants you to know that he loves you. Once we get bold about sharing the good news, I learned in sales, whatever objection you have, there's a rebuttal for every objection that an individual can come up with. And the purpose of a rebuttal is not to get on their nerves, but it's to help them knock their defenses down, to help them realize that you really do need what it is that I'm offering you. All of us need salvation. If we didn't need salvation, there would have been no need for a savior. The gift that was given on that day would have been of no effect. There would have been no need for it. would have been a useless gift. It would have been, it would have been the, the spiritual equivalent of a fruitcake. You ever get a fruitcake on Christmas? What do you usually do with that fruitcake on Christmas? You wrap that bad boy up and give it to somebody else, right? Because you don't want it. Salvation is not that kind of gift. 
Salvation is a gift. Salvation is, okay. Salvation in description, in layman's terms here, is like money. What do people say about money? Money is always what? The right color. It's always the right size. It's always in fashion. It always fits. Salvation is the same thing. Salvation is a constant. It's something that's always needed. It's something that's always appropriate. It's something that's always in style. And it's something that everybody can use. But oftentimes, people don't have it. And the sad part is, people don't know where to go get it. But when you're a giver, you have it to give. Which leads us to our second way that we can be effective ministers. And that's by being selfless in our ministry. Amen? Being selfless. It's not about personal gain. I said earlier that oftentimes people cringe when they hear a pastor begin to preach on giving because they think, here we go. And they start grabbing their person, their wallet real tight because they don't want to give up any money. But the message is not about the money. The message is about the mindset. Because concerning money just for a moment, and again, this message is not about money. Concerning money just for a moment. The Bible says that God loves, it doesn't say that God loves a giver. It says God loves a certain type of giver, doesn't it? It says God loves a cheerful giver, right? And it says that for a reason. And I'll just make the reason plain and simple. <clears throat> if you, if I had a ticket, to, if I had a ticket to the play Hamilton, and I came to you and said, hey, I got this ticket to the play Hamilton, <clears throat> which is one of the hottest tickets in town. Got us seats front row, right in front of the stage. You want to go? And your response is, oh, man, I don't feel like going to Hamilton. I don't feel good today. I've not had my medicine, and my kids have gotten on my nerves. And you give a man and one excuses, and your attitude is just horrible. You know what? Just, just give me the ticket. I'll meet you there. Now, do you really think I'm going to give you that ticket? No. No. Because that negativity, I want that negativity to stay at home. Because when I get to the play, I want to enjoy the play, and I'm trying to give you the ticket because, catch this, I want you to experience the same joy that I experience. But if I come to you and say, I got this ticket to Hamilton, you want to go? Do I want to go? Yes, I want to go. And, 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 and you, there's joy about it. It's no problem giving it because I know that it's going to be received in the spirit in which it's given. That's how God is with us as it pertains to giving, and the giving transcends money. God wants us to be cheerful in the giving of ourselves. He wants us to be cheerful in the giving of our gifts, in the giving of our talent, in the giving of our time. If we're begrudging and saying, God, I'm tired, but yeah, I know it's 6 in the morning. Yeah, I got to get up and go to this job. But I guess I'll get on my knees and pray for five minutes. Do you really think he's going to receive and answer that prayer? No. Because it's being prayed from a selfish mindset. It's being prayed as something to check off on the to-do list when God wants us to be selfless. Again, everything we do is a matter of worship. It's a matter of showing God, God, you're worth this extra hour that I'm giving you this morning. You're worth this time in prayer. You're worth this time in study. You're worth this time in witness. You're worth this person cursing me out and telling me to go somewhere. You're worth this door being slammed in my face as I'm trying to tell them about Jesus. You're worth this person trying to overtalk when the word is going forth. You're worth going through this because it's not me. 
that's doing it. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing it because, God, you gave me the gift of life. You gave me the gift of breath in my body. You gave me the gift of the activity of my limbs. You gave me the gift of the firing in some semblance or order of my mind. You've given me everything that I have, so I want to give it back to you because you're worth everything to me. And if that means that I've got to look like a fool for you, I'd rather look like a fool for you than to be foolish without you and be found on the wrong side of eternity when I close my eyes. That's the mindset that we have to be in. If you look at Acts, the 20th chapter, that, that's the mindset that Paul had gotten into. And if you know Paul's story, you know that it wasn't always that way with Paul. Before there was a Paul, there was a Saul. Anybody, ever, anybody here watch the show Better Call Saul? Anybody watch it? No? That's okay. Better Call Saul is a show about this, this, this lawyer called Saul, who's from a show called Breaking Bad, which was basically a show about a bunch of people doing stuff they had no business doing. That's why it's called Breaking Bad. And Saul was the attorney that got him out, that always got him out of trouble. Saul was the attorney that, that did just enough, did just enough above board to overshadow what he did below board, to make it look like he was taking care of you. When in reality, he was taking care of you, you know, trying to take you out. That's basically what Saul was doing. Saul in the Bible had the blessing of the church of that day to persecute Christians. He was on his way to do just that when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and asked him, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul's like, I'm paraphrasing, Lord, who are you? I don't know who you are. I'm Jesus, the one you persecute. The Bible says that he was knocked from his beast and he was rendered blind. He was rendered blind for three days. He went and found an individual that was scared of him, but that understood the gift that they had. I believe the individual's name was, 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 was Ananias. I might be wrong on the name. If I am, please forgive me. But he went and he laid hands on Saul. And this man knew who Saul was. He's like, God, wait a minute, you, this man kills folks like me because I'm a believer. Nevertheless, you said lay my hands on this individual. That's what I'm going to do. Catch this because you said do it. So when he did it, the Bible goes on to say the scales immediately fell from Saul's eyes. And when the scales fell from Saul's eyes, Saul had a new vision. So much so that his name was changed from Saul to Paul. So all the gifts that he had to persecute the Christians, the boldness that he had, the, the connections that he had, the, the, the favor that he had, the prestige that he had among uh, people in different lands, he then took that and used it to do God's work. So if you go into the New Testament, all the books after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, darn near all of them, Paul had a hand in writing most of them. The, the letter to Romans, the, the, the book Romans, he wrote that letter to Rome. The, the letters to Timothy, the two of those, he wrote those. The letters of, to Corinthians, the first and second Corinthians, he wrote those. He, Paul did all this. But he did all this after he realized that the gifts and stuff that he had, it wasn't about getting, wasn't about what his mandate was. But instead it was about what God's mandate was. And in verse 33, it says here, 
he kind of gave a, a synopsis of what had happened to him up to this point in his life. He says here, beginning in verse 33, that I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Meaning I don't need anybody's money. I got my own. I don't need yours. I don't have to want for what you have. I have my own. I can take care of me. Verse 34 goes on to say, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. In other words, not only do I have enough for me, but I have the means to go out and make my own money. I can go out and get what I need to get. I can go lay my hands on what I need to lay, hand, lay my hands on, and I don't have to be a, a criminal to do it. I have more than enough. Not only am I rich, but I'm wealthy as well. But here's the payoff in verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Doesn't matter what we have stored up. Doesn't matter how much we got in the bank. Doesn't matter how many houses and cars and suits we got. Doesn't matter what all we have. All this stuff matters none if we're not doing the work of ministry. If we're not doing the work of making a difference, of helping people, of being a gift in and of yourself to bless others. Because can I let you in on a little secret? You can't take none of that stuff with you anyway. So if you can't take any of it with you anyway, once you've left the inheritance for your children and your children's children, why not bless others with the rest of it? It makes a difference, but more importantly, it makes an impact and it makes a statement because you never know what the individual that you're going through is going through. Again, it's seed. Like I said about my messages, the message is the same, but the package is different. Some people might need to see the monetary dynamic. Some people might need to see the human touch. Some people might need to see the acts of service, the five love languages. Some people might need the touch. Some people might need the affirmation. Some people might need whatever it is they need. They need it, but when they receive it, that's their love language. And they're like, wow, maybe Jesus does love me. Yes, like the song says, Jesus loves you. Because the Bible tells you he does. All I'm doing is just acting out what the song says in your life. I'm listening to God and God is speaking to me to say give to you in this fashion because this is your love language. So that you in turn can receive it and say, wow, Jesus does love me. But the world has become so hardened that when people do aspire to do that, that they think there's a hidden agenda. There was a, an individual yesterday, I was on my way, or well, not yesterday, excuse me, um, day before yesterday, Friday, I was on my way to um, see my dad at the scene center and I went I had to stop to get some food because I take my medicine it's like I can't take it on an empty stomach and so while I'm at the McDonald's there's a young lady in front of me who's ordering some food and the food that she ordered she didn't have enough money to pay for it and you know she was she was by herself you know uh, uh, I'm assuming a single lady but she was ordering quite a bit of food so I'm inclined to believe that she might have been getting it for someone else it doesn't matter so she didn't have enough to get it so she left so you know there was another gentleman he was ordering food and you know Lord just kept tugging at my heart about that situation so I ordered my I ordered my own food but he just kept tugging at me about that so when the clerk was done helping the other lady or other gentleman, excuse me, I, I asked her, I said, excuse me, that, that transaction you avoided, what, what all did she order? 
they're like, what? I said, what What the, the transaction you've ordered? What, what all did she order? So they went through the order. I said, you know what? Give it to me. G give me the order. She said, give it to you? Yeah, give it to me. How much is it? So I told me how much it was. Okay, fine. Give me the order. So she gave me the order. I walked out of the store. Um, I gave the bag to the lady because she was outside on her phone. She was trying to text somebody. So I went to give the bag to the lady, and I'm, sh I'm sharing the story about the mindset that people have built and how we can have to change the mindset. I went to give her the bag. She's like, no, no, that's okay. No, thank you. I'm like, no, really, it's fine. You can have it. She's like, no, that's okay. No, thank you. I'm like, there's nothing attached. I don't want anything. I'm, I'm just, I just saw that you had a need. Please take it. It's okay. So she's like, okay, thank you. And she had this look on her face of bewilderment at first. She didn't know what to think. So I didn't, I just, you know, went and got in my car and just took off. But as I got in the car and as I was driving away, she had this look on her face like, I mean, she wasn't looking at me, but she looked, she kept looking at the bag. She kept looking at the phone. And then she looked at the bag. And then she put the phone to her ear. And I don't know what was said. It doesn't matter what was said. But I'm like, Lord, thank you for being, for having the capacity to sow that seed. Whatever that seed germinates into, I'm thankful that I sold that seed. Because had I been selfish about it, I could have said, you know what? I just paid my credit card bill. I don't want to put this. Why should I Why should I spend my hard-earned money on somebody else? I don't know this lady. You know, she's not paying my bill. But it's not a here again. The mindset. God loves a cheerful giver. Didn't matter to me. I didn't care about that. I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't doing it for accolades. I'm doing it because the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because what I was giving her was more than just the food. I was sowing a seed to let her know that Jesus loves you because Jesus is the Lord that provides. You had a need in that instant. God provided your need in that instant. Jesus loves you. That's the seed I'm sowing through the food. That's the seed I'm sowing through the food, that Jesus loves you. And you've got to understand and realize that this is what God is calling us to do. So what happened is that Paul declared his insufficiency in order to perpetually share God's sufficiency through Christ with us so that we ultimately can do the same with others. We got to let people know what I have is not about me. What I have is not something I have and generated myself. What I have is a gift from God that I in turn am blessing you with. Why am I blessing you with it? Because I love you the way that God loves me. And I'm, because I'm loving you the way that God loves me, I'm giving you what God gave me. I'm not, not going to give you any less than he gives me. Because just like he's my dad, he's your dad too. When me and my sisters were growing up, when my parents gave one of us something, my parents gave all of us something. And they said that they did that. And I understand now having four sons, having four sons of my own, or five sons of my own, soon to be eight sons of my own, eight sons and daughters of my own, you know, that I love all of you the same. There is no differentiation. I love each of you the same. Each of you have different gifts. Each of you have different talents. Each of you have different attributes. But I love you all the same. Because my desire for each of you is that agape mindset. I want the best for each of you, even if it means the worst for me. Because that's what Christ did. It meant that he had to go to the cross. But before he got there, he literally had his organs darn near beaten out of his back with catanine tails. He had three-inch thorns pressed down his forehead into his brow. He had been beaten to the point of being darn near beyond physical recognition. And after all that, then he was impaled to a piece of wood and hung there for six hours. 
And in the midst of the thirst and the pain, instead of being offered water, they were giving them, they were looking to give them vinegar, giving them, giving them gall. And in the process, people down there talking about it and making fun of it. And he could have came off the cross at any point in time and dealt with them, but he chose not to. Why? He chose not to. Love, that's why. And the love is what drove him to be the last point here. That we've got to be living witnesses of God's word. Jesus chose to be a living witness of what the Father had written in the prophecies. Every single thing down to his clothes while he was on the cross dying would be gambled for. Everything, every prophecy was fulfilled. That was significant because in the Jewish culture, the Jewish law, everything was done by the law and the prophets. There have been 400 years of silence before Christ showed up. No prophetic word at all had been spoken. And then Christ showed up and fulfilled every single one of them. He went down the proverbial checklist. Check, check, check. Born of a virgin, check. Uh, North Star, check. Uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, check. Uh, uh, everything that the prophecies talked about, Jesus' life, Christ's life, exhibited it. And what God desires us to do is be living witnesses of his word. Look at what it says in verse 35. Again, verse 35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul said this as an ongoing reminder to us of whose we are and what his will is for our lives. We've got to remember day in and day out that it's more blessed to give than to receive. We've got to remember and understand and know day in and day out that everything that we do is designed to be a blessing to God's people. Everything that we do is designed to make a divine difference in people's lives. Everything that we do is designed to let people know that God is in control. And what I'm doing is not about me, but it's about God. Amen. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things, won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin, I ask you into my heart, and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.